Thank you. I want to just tell you a little bit about one of those hunting trips. <laughs> I decided two weeks ago I'd never, uh, th no, I better not say this. I'll just stop there but, about hunting. But I was sitting in a tree one morning <laughs> praying that the time would hurry up and the guy that picked us up would hurry up and come and get us. <laughs> I usually do that when I get in a tree. From the time I get up there, I think to myself, what in heaven's name? I can't stand this. What am I doing up here? Well, I had my son up there with me because he, he was a little young. I was afraid to entrust him alone. I, and I figured the reason I'm up here is for him. He wants to hunt. And uh, here we were on a piece of board about that big, both of us sitting on it. <laughs> And I, uh, we very seldom get every, anything down here for lots of reasons. Um, I don't think it's only because we don't like to hunt, but I was up in this tree and Jamie was hunting in the same head I was. That's the same group of trees or something. And um, it was early in the morning and I heard, I heard this shotgun go off, boom. And uh, I thought, boy, I, you know, I began to get a little jealous and bitter. Um, you either shoot a deer or a turkey that early in the morning, you know, and um, so I... Um, in, in my heart, I was fussing at the Lord a little bit, you know, um, about why I couldn't get anything. I've always wanted to kill a turkey and uh, never had the privilege of killing one. Um. And a few minutes, Jamie came over to where we were and he had a buzzard with him. <laughs> <laughs> I would like for you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter <laughs> chapter 2. That's a sort of sudden change, but um, I want you to use your Bibles a lot this morning, so you get them out. I want you to read, and if you can write these things down, um, I'd like you to consider some of them afterwards. We'll start in verse 9. This is not my text, and this is just my jumping-off place, really. And uh, we'll start in verse 9 and read a little bit. 1 Peter 2.9, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now that you have received mercy. And that's very, very good. But I want to call your attention to the next two verses. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Let me just stop here and say this. In the last two years, it's been my privilege to make mission trips on an every mission trip that we go on, they warn us, you're a stranger down here. Be careful what you eat and be careful especially what you drink. In fact, in one place we were in, in Indonesia, they said, don't even clean your teeth in the water. They warned us. They said, if you do it, you're going to get sick if you drink this water. Peter is saying, hey, we are the people of God. 
What a, what a tremendous passage. But he's saying to us, hey, you're strangers in this world and you better look out. He's giving a legitimate warning that you do not mess yourself up with the fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And then verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles, the unsaved. Now, Jamie was talking last night about being in a battle and we're in a battle. And uh, listen, we're going to get shot at enough without giving the enemy something legitimate to shoot at. Keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, when they say something about you, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, they're going to attack us, but let's not give them any ground for legitimate attack. That's what it's saying. Uh, they will know that when they attack us, they're telling lies. So keep your behavior excellent. I've come to believe that we Christians, our worst enemy is not the devil, it's ourselves. I mean, we act in such a way, I mean, we just ask him to knock us down. Now, one more verse, then I want to tell you a story and get to my text. John 14, 30. Jesus is speaking in that famous message of 14, 15, 16 to his disciples and he says, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of this world is coming. That's the devil. He says, he's coming to me. And then he says this, he has nothing in me. <laughs> he's going to come, but he has nothing in me. In other words, there isn't anything in me that he can get at. About three years ago, somebody gave my wife and I a ticket to Hawaii, and we went to Hawaii. And uh, we were on the beach one day with another pastor and his wife. And as we sat on the beach, we noticed that the people out there, a lot of people were sailing catamarans up and down the beach. And um, they were having a good time, not up and down the beach, up and down the, the ocean out there. They were having a tremendous time. So we decided that we would sail. So we went over and uh, rented a catamaran. I was upset to think that it cost $20 an hour. I can remember that very, very vividly. <laughs> I thought, boy, they are robbing us blind. Well, being good religious folks, we didn't listen to the instructions very well. <laughs> so we got excited about the possibilities of sailing. Everybody was having a good time. And uh, he said some things to us. I can remember them now. The one thing I do remember that he said, and it's usually the sort of thing Baptists would remember, uh, he said, if I have to come get you guys, I'll be another $20. <laughs> that stuck very, very vividly in my mind, as I'll explain in a minute. Well, we got in this boat and we started out. I want to tell you something about sailing. It's sort of like something about skiing. Skiing's easy. It's stopping that's hard. I mean, anybody can ski. <laughs> 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 
sailing's easy, it's turning that's hard. <laughs> well, we, we got to sailing, and uh, I don't know if you know anything about the sea. I was raised in the West Indies and right on the seafront, and I've lived around the sea most of my life. The sea is a lot rougher outside than it looks on the inside. You can stand on the beach and say, man, it isn't bad out there, and, and you can go out there and you'll find out that waves that looked about this high, when you get out there, about six foot high. So we got outside, they call it, at least where I'm from, they call it. We got outside and realized we had to turn around because if we didn't, we'd soon be at another island. <laughs> well, we turned around and turned over at approximately the same time. Now, we were in full view of the beach, and I want to tell you something. For 30 minutes, we really tried to get that boat up. I had two motivations. My pride, there were my wife and all the people on the beach looking at us, man, and we'd turn right over in full view. And then the other motivation was that other 20 bucks that that guy was going to get. <laughs> and we really worked at it. I mean, we really worked at it. We absolutely, positively worked it. We never, I mean, we never did budge the sail out the water. And people would come by and say, need any help? Fine! <laughs> I could hardly hold on. Uh, I mean, we got to the place physically where we could just hold on to the boat. And finally the guy came out and got us. <laughs> and he weighed about one-third of what myself and the other passed away together, and he had that boat up in two minutes. He had that boat up in two minutes. Now, sailing on the Pacific is fun, but wallering around it isn't, in it isn't. <laughs> uh, I just want to add this to you. You know, I found out that a lot of Christians like I was in the water, except you're not visible. You set out in this Christian experience, it was a wonderful, marvelous thing, and you set out on it, and uh, your boat's turned over. The only difference when a Christian's boat's turned over, you're not liable to find it out till he's almost drowning because he'll always say everything's fine. <laughs> we haven't got to the place yet where we're willing to share and call for help and ask for help. We haven't got to that place yet. And I just want to add this to the story. We were headed back in. And this guy said to us, y'all still got some more time. What you going to do? <laughs> it doesn't take me long to know that 20 plus 20 plus 20 <laughs> <laughs> equals 60. But you know, I've learned something else. I'm scared of letting fear dominate my life. And a lot of times, we tried and turned over. And we're not willing to try again because we're scared. Anytime fear dominates your life, the devil is dominating it. God never runs us by fear. Now, with this in mind, I want to speak to you on the subject today. And it might seem a little odd at first, but I think you'll understand. Three things I want the devil to find in me when he comes in war. Three things I want the devil to find in me 
when he comes in this battle that we're engaged in. Three things I want him to find in me, and I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy. And, uh, you know, in some of the parts of the Bible, you're not always sure what they're trying to say, but right here we're absolutely, positively sure of what Paul is trying to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy because he says so twice. Look in verse 5. The goal of our instruction, Paul said, why I'm writing you is... I want you to have love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, the three things I want the devil to find in me when he comes is a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, let me show you how important these are. Go down to verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight a good fight. Listen. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and suffered, what? Shipwreck. <laughs> they have rejected these, and they have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. And then he lists this. He lists two names. Among these are Harmanius and Alexander. I very seriously doubt that there's a Christian in here who could not put two names of their own in here. I very seriously doubt that there's a Christian in here who couldn't fill in names that they know of people who have gone shipwreck in their faith. This last week, I heard of a man that I love who is an elder in a church in Florida, who has gone shipwrecking his faith right now. His boat's turned over and crashed against the rocks. Not only is he, going, is he hurt and his family is hurt, but the whole church will be hurt. It's inevitable. Now, if you don't need what I'm going to say today, you're going to be around a lot of people that are going to need it. But I have a suspicion that all of us need to be careful. If Timothy needed to be careful, we need to be careful. The battle's going to be strong enough and heavy enough without giving the, ground de the devil ground. And if you give him ground, he'll take it just as absolutely for sure. Now, let me just say this to you. This man that fell in the last few weeks, I just heard about it this week. This man that fell... I want to tell you something. We only saw him when he hit. He had been falling for a long time because nobody ever gets into serious trouble overnight. And let me just say this to you. Falling can be a very pleasant experience. <laughs> Somebody said, it isn't falling that hurts you, it's a sudden stop. <laughs> And I want to tell you this, there are possibly, without probably any doubt in here, people who are falling right now and you say everything's okay because you haven't... See, when this guy got into trouble, bad, bad trouble, that was the stop. 
But it didn't start three weeks ago whenever he got into trouble. It started probably months and months ago. And if I were a, a betting man and could bet, I bet he violated one of the three things I want to talk to you about this morning somewhere down the line. Now, let's talk first of all about a pure heart and how to, uh, what a pure heart is and how to get a pure heart because I believe the Lord's committed to this. And I would like for you to turn with me to Malachi, just briefly. This is one of the last promises in the Old Testament. And I believe the song our sister sang for us this morning, I associated that with sinners for years, but I tell you, I don't believe there's any song Christians need any more than that song. And I believe the, 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 I believe the Lord led her to sing that song this morning because, you see, there's probably not a soul in this building who will say, I'm not a Christian. But that song is addressed to Christians. And I want to ask you, have you been cleansed by the blood? And let me say, there's a difference between forgiveness and cleansing. <laughs> there's a difference between forgiveness and cleansing. You get forgiven for the results of what you've done, but you get cleansed from the cause of it. But we'll come to that in a minute. Look in Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger before, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, saith the Lord. Then it says this, Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And he will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver. Now listen to this. This is very important because of the emphasis that's being put on praise today. Listen to this. I believe it's connected. I believe the emphasis and the wave of praise and worship that's coming in is legitimate. But I believe this goes along with it. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. You see, he's going to work on the sons of Levi. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien and so forth down here. Now let me tell you a very familiar scene in Old Testament times. If you went into an Old Testament village, you would have found the purifier of metals there, and this is what he would do. He would have a pot and a fire under that pot, and the metal would be in the pot, and he would heat the metal. Now, when he heated the metal, the impurities in the metal would come to the surface, and he would take something and skim off the scum. Now, this is very important. If he didn't skim off the scum, when the metal cooled down and became solid again, the scum would settle into the metal and become invisible and you couldn't see it. Now what he would do is this. He would heat the metal, the scum would rise to the surface, he'd skim it off, then he'd let the metal cool down, then he'd heat it again, but this time he'd heat it hotter. And a different kind of scum would come to the surface and he'd skim it off again. 
And you know, in the Old Testament, and I've forgotten where the scriptures, I think it's in the Psalms, it says, silver refined seven times. That means he'd heat it seven times, hotter and hotter and hotter. And someone has said this, that he'd heat it until the guy, the refiner of the silver, could look down in the silver and see his face. I believe that's what Jesus is trying to do to his people today. He is committed to getting us pure hearts. Now, I want to tell you, this might just be my testimony, but I want to tell you the fires that he's using on me. And I want to tell you what I've done to them <laughs> and how I've reacted to them. I found out that the refiner's fire... And by the way, do you remember when Jesus said he's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire? <laughs> you know what I found out? Why the Holy Spirit comes first is because you couldn't stand the fire, or even understand the fire, or want the fire, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> the Holy Spirit's, one of his jobs is to give us pure hearts. Let me tell you what the fire has been in my life. It's been folks. <laughs> now, it hadn't been the woman at the grocery store mostly that I just see once a month or the fellow at the filling station. It's been people who are close to me <laughs> that I can't easily get away from. <laughs> Now, let me show you how it works. See, I've got people. For instance, for a good part of this year, I've had two mothers living in our home and a 16-year-old boy. <laughs> I think this must be the seventh stage of fire in my life. <laughs> now, Let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest. Who would you least like to have living next door to you in heaven for all eternity? <laughs> I mean, uh, they'd have to be a Christian. Who, uh, you'd be a little just. You'd be a little disappointed if you got to heaven and found this guy living next door to you. Oh, gal. Let me tell you what the scum is. The scum is any reaction I have to other people that is unlike Jesus' reaction would be. Let me just say it. The heat of human relationships brings to the surface in my life not other people's scum, my scum. And my scum are the attitudes and actions that arise in my heart, in my interactions with other people that are unlike Jesus. Now, you know what I've spent most of my life doing? I either want to put out the fire or get off the pot. <laughs> You know, I say things like this. If it weren't for her, I 
wouldn't feel like this. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm putting the blame on her. Rather than saying, hey, there's something inside of me that isn't like Jesus. And I tell you what cleansing is in my understanding of the Christian faith. It's skimming off the scum. Now, you know, uh, one of the hottest fires for the average Baptist preacher is called deacons. <laughs> There's hardly a Baptist preacher that couldn't testify to this. Now, have you ever wondered why Baptist preachers move so much? Uh, they're trying to get rid of the fire. <laughs> and you see, what happens to a Baptist preacher? And it goes like this, and maybe you can identify. You know, he has all these awful feelings, and he blames the deacons, and then he moves. And they're gone. Why? For a little while, the fire cools down while a preacher goes through in his new church what is called the honeymoon period. <laughs> See, when the pressure cools down, the feelings settle back, but they're not gone. That's the problem. Because they haven't been dealt with, they're still there. And they're going to rise to the surface again. And one of the reasons I know God is with me is he won't let me, he won't give me what I call a social promotion. <laughs> I mean, my wife has to say to me sometimes, you mean we're going to have to take that course again? <laughs> what she's meaning is this. Why don't you deal with the problem so we don't have to go through this again? <laughs> now let me say this to you. Anything that arises in you, in your relationships with other people that is unlike Jesus, arises in you because it's in you. <laughs> no woman in this world can make me lust. No person in this world can make me lose my temper. And a pure heart, listen, God expects after he sends the Holy Spirit in us to work towards a pure heart. The filling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a, a sign that you have a pure heart. It's a sign that God's committed to making you have a pure heart. And therefore, you can expect the process after this, and God's process is people. There might be a few other fires, I, you know, and, and I've been in it in the last few years, and God has been working on me. I'm an expert in what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> I don't mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm an expert in skimming the scum off. I'm an expert in the rest of it, and I'm working on that real hard because I'm tired of taking some of these courses. You know, there's that person in the church, when you see them coming down the same aisle you are, uh, you find a reason to go down another aisle or to turn in the other direction because you really don't want to talk with them right now. Have you ever thought of doing something like this, saying, Lord, 
What is there in me that makes me feel towards Mrs. Smith like I feel towards Mrs. Smith? I know Jesus wouldn't feel this way. Jesus would see Mrs. Smith as a sick person and he'd have compassion on her and want to love her into wholeness. But instead, I don't even want to talk to her. Lord, I want to confess to you these feelings. These attitudes that keep reoccurring in my life in certain given situations, I want to confess them to you. And I want to be cleansed of them. You know something? Forgiveness comes through confession, but cleansing comes through walking in the light. <laughs> Read 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. It's walking in the light. It's core. You know, I've got news for you. I really believe if God would, I've asked God to give me a pure heart, and I've asked him to do it quickly and painlessly. <laughs> and I have begged him for years to do this. And if anybody should have that prayer request answered, I should have. But he ain't done it, and it doesn't look like he's going to do it. He's walking me through this process of cleansing. Beloved, let me just say this to you. In the battle, you want to have as pure a heart as God can give you at any moment. Because if you have an impure heart, the devil will know it, and he's going to hit right in that corner. He's not a fool. He knows your weak spots. He knows where you are. I don't believe that God gets upset because my heart is not 100% pure. I think what he gets upset at is my refusal to accept his processes and to work with him in working through to having a totally pure heart. Are you willing to accept God's processes? Paul said, Timothy, I want you to love, but I want you to love out of a pure heart. Christians, much of our love is coming out of an impure heart and it's not coming out straight and it's not understood and therefore it is not received and accepted by the people that we are loving. Let me just sum up this part by this. You've got one of three alternatives when you're in the fire. One is to try to put out the fire and that doesn't always work. Some people try to put it out with divorce. Some preachers try to put it out by leaving their homes. Some people put it out by breaking up friendships and not having any more to do with that person. You can either put out the fire, run from it, or you can deal with the scum. And I want you to know something. It's God that's behind it because he loves you. He wants you to have a pure heart because blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And they shall have communion and fellowship with God. My suggestion to you is, and it's not probably something you can do in here, and it's probably something that won't, it's very hard to get hot in a situation like this. Uh, the scum's not liable to come to the surface this week. And it'll come to the surface next week back at work. Or next week back in the home next week someplace out there in a situation. Just say, Lord, thank you for showing me what has been down inside that weakens me. 
And uh, I confess to you, that my attitude in this particular situation is not right. Lord, I'm not concerned with what Mrs. Smith did. It's my attitude towards Mrs. Smith. It's not her big mouth. It's my feelings towards her big mouth. Lord, I confess this to you and just ask you to show me how you can cooperate with me about cleansing. Let me tell you what God did to me one time in this. I was in a meeting with Jack Taylor and Judson Cornwell, of all people, and I was preaching, and uh, I was getting ready to give the invitation, and the Lord said to me, you are going to be the one that comes down at the invitation. I was doing the preaching, getting the invitation. And he said, you're going to kneel down in front of this congregation. You're going to ask these preachers, the pastor of the church, and these are two other men, to lay hands on you and pray for you. Now, when I did that, God has set me free of something that I have battled with for years. He cleansed something out of me that was in there. I didn't want to go through that walking process. But that's what he said to do. When boy, was I glad. You see, there came that moment of decision. Am I going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and be my own invitation this morning? And am I going to humble myself and say, I'm the one that needs to be prayed for? And am I going to ask these men to lay hands on me and pray for me at this altar? And I just want to testify that that day in Austin, Texas, something in my life that needed to be cleansed, for which I'd got forgiven a hundred times. Are you with me? <laughs> what you need to be cleansed of most likely is what you ask forgiveness for over and over again. <laughs> you walk in the light and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, will cleanse you from all sin. Now the second thing, a good conscience. I want to ask you a question now and I want you to answer me out loud. Do you believe it's okay for a Christian to commit little sins? Well, let me ask you again. I'm asking you to respond to me. Do you believe it's okay for Christians to commit little sins? Okay, good. I figured you'd say that. You almost have to, right? Now, you don't have to answer this next one out loud, but I want you to think about it for just a minute. Do you know what a deliberate 56 mile an hour sin is? Now, I want to show you something from the Word that's going to be, and I, I, I want you to ask the Lord to help you in this as we listen to this part, because it's going to be difficult for some of you to receive. But Paul said to Timothy, I don't only want you to have a pure heart, I want you to have a good conscience. A conscience in which the devil doesn't have any ground at all. I want to tell you a story. About four years ago, one Sunday afternoon, I landed in a private plane in a small Oklahoma town. And uh, the pastor met me at the airport and he gave me a Volkswagen van. It's one of those things that sits up kind of high. 
And he said, I'm, I'm going to lead you back to the motel. And uh, so my wife and I got in the van and he started off. And I'm telling you, if he drove one mile an hour, he drove 90. And after, you know, I tried to keep up with him for a little and that Volkswagen van looked like it was going to fly off the road. And, uh, and so I just told my wife, I said, I am not going to follow that guy. He'll, he'll just have to find us somehow. I can't follow him. And I slowed down to around 65. In about two minutes, a highway patrolman, no, a sheriff had blown me down. He stopped me, and uh, I got out of the car and went back to him. He said, let me see your license. And he looked at it, and he said, that's no good here. <laughs> and then he read me the riot act. I've never been read the riot act. He read me the riot act so bad, my wife who was sitting up in the car in front said, hey, what's wrong? And I said, I really don't know. And then he said to me, can she drive? And I said, yes. And he threw me into his cage. Well, I mean, he didn't throw me because I cooperated. And he put me in the cage of this police car and told my wife to follow him. Well, you know, here I was driving into this town. I was going to preach the gospel in two hours. And I'm driving into town in the cage. I tell you, I can't tell you how I felt in here. I, I haven't experienced that much soul damage in a long, long time. Well, anyway, when we got into town, the preacher met us then. It was just a big joke. They had set this thing up. And you know, as I look back on the incident, I said, why was that sheriff able to intimidate me about my license and about other things that somehow in my heart of hearts I know wasn't true? And here's why he was able to intimidate me. Because my conscience told me I had broken the law. He never said one thing to me about going too fast. But see... Deep down inside of me, I knew he had me when he stopped me, right? And he wasn't only able to get me, but for what I'd done, he went on to lay stuff on me like my license. He said, this is no good out here. You know, I didn't, I didn't even try to repudiate that because inside, I was already convicted. Are you with me? You see... When you violate your conscience, you give the enemy room to do all kinds of things to you. Now, did you know that breaking the speed law will damage your conscience? I mean, the Bible says so. 
I want you to read in Romans 13 with me. Now, most people who know anything about the Bible know that Romans 13 has to do... Listen. Uh, we'll just read the first few verses. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise of the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. That's what he says about the tax collector and the highway patrolman and all those good. This is what he's talking about. Anybody can tell you this. He's talking about Caesars and their people. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger of who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Now look at this verse right here. Here's the verse I wanted you to get, but I wanted to read this in context. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. What's he talking about here? Listen, you only have one conscience, and when you violate it, you violate it. I don't have a conscience on the highway, and then a conscience. I only have one conscience. Now, What's your conscience? Well, your conscience is what makes you look in the rearview mirror after you've looked at the speedometer. <laughs> or after you've seen the patrolman makes you look at the speedometer. It's that little thing inside of us that goes, bong. It is the system that God has given us to let us know when we are about to do wrong or when we have done wrong. It is a very sensitive little instrument inside of us that God has given to us. And Paul, in writing to the Romans, says, Hey, don't only keep the law because you don't want to get a ticket. Keep it for conscience sake. You see, here's how it works. A very prominent evangelist told me the other day that he drove seven miles over the speed limit because he understood nobody would get arrested at that and that was generally accepted. <laughs> now, think of why you drive over the speed limit. It goes things like this. Everybody does it. And it does seem like everybody does it because when you're driving at 55, the people who are passing you, you don't see the other people who are driving at 55 because they don't pass you and you don't catch them up. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> So as far as you're concerned, you're the only person doing it because everybody's going by you. Now, listen, let me ask you a question. How many Christians do you know today that do things because everybody's doing it? You see, you set your conscience at a level that says everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. Then there are other reasons why we drive fast. We drive fast because we say, I'm going to be late for a meeting. <laughs> In other words, we justify what we do wrong. And listen, we set our conscience, and I want you just to go home and pray about this. I don't want you to accept anything I say, and I, when I come to my last part of the, the thing, you'll understand why. Uh,
conscience. Paul said, things to keep a clear conscience towards God and towards men. Everything in order to keep a clear conscience towards God and towards men. You can find that in Acts 24, 16. There's a pure conscience. You know what a pure conscience is? It's one that has been cleansed. <laughs> and it's been cleansed because it's been dirty. But listen to these other three types of consciences. There's a weak conscience, especially amongst immature Christians. There are a lot of things that mature Christians shouldn't do that's okay for them to do because they will offend an immature Christian. And I haven't got time to get into what the Bible teaches about that in 1 Corinthians. But listen to these other two types. There's a defiled conscience. A defiled conscience is like a defiled speedometer or a defiled thermostat. It isn't working right. It doesn't go off at the right time. <laughs> it doesn't register exactly. And then the Bible uses this word, a seared conscience. A seared conscience is one that you can't bother. Every one of us has known somebody that could tell a lie and look you in the face. And it was obvious that they weren't bothered by it at all. Listen, the phrase, my conscience doesn't bother me, doesn't mean one single solitary thing if your conscience is not working right. Let me give you a little test. Some of you are watching television programs now that five years ago your conscience went mum. <laughs> and your conscience isn't going bum anymore. If it is, you're not hearing it. Now it isn't because God's told you it's okay to watch those television programs that your conscience doesn't bother you anymore. It's because you have overridden your conscience so much it doesn't bother you anymore. Paul said, Timothy, when the devil comes at you, let him find a good conscience. <laughs> let him find a good conscience. When the devil comes at me, I want to find a good conscience. I don't want him to be like that patrolman who can ride me into the ditch because I've given him some room. <laughs> now, How do you know your conscience is in good shape? Oh, let me ask you this question. When last did you ask the Lord to cleanse your conscience? When, when last did you take your conscience to him and say, Lord, well, let's look at a couple of verses in the, in the scripture. Would you turn to Hebrews chapter 9 for me, just a minute. Nine fourteen. <clears throat> How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more? The blood of Christ cleanses nothing but the blood. Go down to chapter 10, verse 22. Here's why a lot of us have a hard time praying. 
let us draw near with a sincere heart. Now look, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from our evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When you applied the blood to your sin, you got forgiveness, didn't you? Well, let me ask you again. When you applied the blood by faith to your sin, did you get forgiveness? Well, you see, we need to apply the blood to our conscience. Listen, our conscience is one of the most precious things that God has given us. My experience is this, that when my conscience is functioning right, God warns me when evil's coming. <laughs> There's a bong, I feel a little jump inside. Are, are you with me? I don't know how it does with you, but a little bong. And if I'll stop and listen, Watchman Nee says, conscience never reasons. Reasoning is a faculty of the mind. Conscience just goes off. <laughs> when your conscience goes off, when there's that bung, you need to stop and say, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And sometimes he'll say this, listen, don't say what you're about to say about that person because I'll not be pleased with it. A really sensitive conscience goes off before you commit the act because before you commit the act, it was planned in the mind. <laughs> and God doesn't want you to commit the act, so he lets it go off and you are able to stop from committing the act. And so when your and my conscience gets like it ought to be, It'll keep us from evil and not only tell us when we have got in to evil. Now, let me give you a few rules and then we'll move to the third thing and I'll be through. Never override your conscience. Never override your conscience. Now, some of our consciences are oversensitive. If you have a question whether a thing is right or wrong, ask God and let him reset your conscience, but never override your conscience because everybody is doing it. Don't ever say, because everybody in this group's doing it, it must be okay for me. If God, if, if your conscience goes off, respect your conscience, and then you can go back home and say, now Lord, I was with this group of Christians and they all felt okay about this, but I didn't. Would you mind telling me what you have for me? And your conscience can get reset. <laughs> by the Lord, because one of the attacks of the devil on a sincere Christian is to accuse him falsely. <laughs> and a very sensitive conscience is easily accused falsely. And you need to go to God and say, now Lord, all the people in my group are doing this, but I'm not free to do it yet. I don't know why, whether it was mother taught me this or you taught me this. Would you mind telling me what you want me to do about this? And you can actually with the help, let the Lord set your conscience. <laughs> Not the prevailing group in which you're in. And there are going to be times when God won't let you do something that he lets everybody else do, and you let them do it, but you respect what God has said to you. When last did you apply the blood to your conscience? 
We're in a war, beloved. And Jamie let it be known very well last night and very well said last night. I tell you something. A bad conscience is a very bad thing to be in this kind of war with. You can easily, easily be fooled. One. Paul said, Timothy, I want you to have a pure heart so you can love properly. I want you to have a good conscience so you can love properly. And he said, Timothy, look out. There are a couple of guys I know that neglected a good conscience and they're shipwrecked. When I graduated in college, not a hundred miles from here, on the day I graduated from college, they gave a man an honorary doctor's degree. I can still see him sitting there as a young preacher boy. Uh, they were giving him an honorary doctor's degree and they said he was the most promising evangelist in America. He was holding citywide meetings. He was doing great things everywhere. And he was tall and dark, had black wavy hair, good looking, or lean. And, and, you know, I can still see him walking up there to get that doctor's degree. The last person that I heard from that saw this guy said this about him. He was selling cars in a Los Angeles agency. He's dead now, this guy. But the last guy that saw him described him like this. I heard the guy describe him myself. He said he's the most bitter vitriolic man I'd ever met in my life and he was fired in three weeks from his job because he became a drunkard. Or he was a drunkard. That was the same guy that sat on the platform. What happened? But well, he went shipwrecked. I believe that guys like that allowed impurities in their heart to remain. And I believe this, they overrode their conscience and very, very slowly they drifted, never planning to be on the rocks, but getting on it. Beloved, in this warfare, we need all the able-bodied Christians we can. We don't need a bunch of crippled-up Christians on the rocks. We're going to need all the able-bodied Christians we can to stand and be testimonies of the faith. Now the third thing. Look, go back to Timothy for just a second if you would. Verse 5. He said, Timothy, and he's, listen, this is Paul talking to probably the person that meant more in his life than anything else, why would he be warning him if it were not the possibility there? He's not talking to a bunch of pagans or backslidden Christians. He's talking to a young minister. And he says to him, hey, what I'm trying to tell you is so that you can have a love out of a pure heart and a good conscience. And then he uses this word, a sincere faith. Now, why does he put sincere in front of faith. And what is the opposite of an insincere faith? And I want to give you one of the most severe warnings that I can give you right now. The word in the Greek for sincere is a word that spelt out in English would go like this, a no play acting faith. <laughs> a no play acting faith. Now, he wouldn't have said that if there wasn't the possibility of a play-acting faith. And I want to talk to you about a play-acting faith as over against a no-play-acting faith. Because this is one of the things 
that God has been doing in my life. I asked him some years ago to give me his kind of faith. And he's been having to purge out some things and change some things and make some things different. It's not the easiest process that I've described to you. Now listen carefully. And here's the danger right at this conference. You can go home and believe something because Derek Prince or Bob Mumford or Jamie Buckingham said so. That is a play-acting faith. You say, what do you mean? Real faith doesn't come till you and God get together and God says, this is for you. Now, why do we have play-acting faiths? Number one is we all like to be accepted. <laughs> and in order to be accepted, we need to say in certain situations we believe certain things. <laughs> and it is easy for me to say, hey, when I'm with a certain, you know, I've been in this business long enough, I know how to act around every kind of Christian and be accepted. I know exactly what you need to believe. <laughs> there's a head belief and there's a heart belief. And he's talking about a heart belief here is over against a head belief. Now listen carefully. Let me give you the best illustration I know in Scripture. Andrew came to Peter and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And Peter made some actions on the basis of this. But in Matthew 16, Jesus said to Peter, when Peter said, Thou art the Christ of the Son of the living God, Jesus said to Peter, Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. <laughs> And if you look at the ministry of Jesus towards the disciples, it changed from that point on because now they had a faith that was their own. You see, Peter had heard this before from flesh and blood. He'd heard it from John the Baptist and he'd heard it from Andrew where they said, he is the Christ. But they knew it, but they didn't know it where it counts. <laughs> Let me ask you something. One of the great collapses in my life came in when I was 23 in seminary. And all of a sudden, I found out that my faith wasn't my faith. It had been my preacher's faith, my parents' faith, and my professor's faith. And I was in a storm. And I want to tell you something about a second-hand faith. A second-hand faith is good in church, but it's not good in a storm. It won't hold up out there in the battle. It'll hold up in church and it will hold up in group meetings when everybody is talking about what they believe, but it will not hold up out there in the battle. And I want to tell you another thing that you have a second-hand faith. Faith without works is dead. You can hold a second-hand faith in your head and it doesn't affect your lifestyle at all. <laughs> Genuine faith not only is here, but it's here, and it has to leak out your hands and feet. You know, sometimes I wonder whether I really believe in hell or not. Of course, I mean, I believe in hell up here. But you know, sometimes I don't do very much to keep people that are obviously going to hell from going there in the simple way of telling them the gospel. 
Oh, I couldn't be accepted without saying I believe in hell. My life, I'd get ridden out by almost everybody I know. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, that is an absolute necessity to say I believe in hell. But does my lifestyle with my neighbors, am I even looking for, I don't believe that you ought to pin down everybody and give them the gospel, but am I even looking for opportunities to share the gospel to save people from hell? If I saw my neighbors dying of polio and knew there was a polio vaccine, I'd do a little bit more about it than I've done with some of the things I have with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is your faith yours? Or is it something you got from somebody else? Now, there's nothing wrong with getting something from somebody else and then going to the Lord and asking him to make it yours. Many of you are going to hear new things in this conference. Don't go home and accept them per se. Say, Lord, you know, I, I'm really in my heart of hearts not sure about this. And if you want me to really believe this, would you, would you show it to me? I have a man in my church right now that's very, very sick, and if God doesn't heal him, he's going to die. I want to tell you something. This guy, more than any other guy in my church, believes in divine healing. <laughs> I tell you how much I believe he believes in divine healing. If I was sick, he's the guy I'd want to pray for me right now in his present condition. <laughs> Now, I can't explain this to you. <laughs> but you know why this guy has a peace? You know what his doctor told him the other day? You know why I know this guy has real faith? I, I know he has real faith because I've watched him for years in this field, long before he ever got sick. He's not using God as a crutch to try to get well. But his doctor said to him the other day, you have more peace than anybody I have ever seen in my life with the, what you've got. <laughs> you see, real faith holds up in the battle and he's in the battle and it's holding up so many people who believe in divine healing when God doesn't heal get bitter <laughs> that's the difference between having a faith and having a faith a feigned faith a sincere I mean an unfeigned faith a sincere faith as over against stuff a faith is just up here. Your faith is going to be tested. A real faith will stand the storm. You'll be still nailing boards, I mean, nails into boards after 110 years with everybody laughing at you <laughs> when no rains come. <laughs> His kingdom come. The first place it needs to do is to come in here because it'll never come out there unless it comes in here. <laughs> His kingdom come is a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
For instance, you sang a while ago. Tell me if this is really true in your life. As the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul pants after thee. Is that truth? I want to ask you something. Do you hunger for the living God himself like a deer pants after water? Was that just something you sang or was it your heart? Because I want to tell you something. If it's your real faith, you can have all of God you want because he couldn't get any closer to you and he is right now inside of you. <laughs> you see, a lot of what we're doing today, folks, and it is very, very dangerous. It's more dangerous than unbelief because we don't know the difference. We are singing and saying things and accepting them as truth in our lives when they are not truth in our lives at all. And some of you need to say, God, I don't really hunger after you because I watch six football games for every 30 minutes I spend with you. <laughs> now I say a guy who watches six football games or one football game as over against 30 minutes with God doesn't hunger after God. <laughs> Because that's a choice you can make. See, you say, what should I do with something like this? Let me show you the hand. Say, God, I had to tell God this one time. I was a preacher and I had to tell God, I really don't love you because if I loved you, I'd want to spend more time with you than I do. <laughs> and I spend time with a whole bunch of other stuff. I said, I don't love you, but I want to love you. See, it starts with honesty. <laughs> but I can go on saying, oh, I love the Lord with all my heart and soul and strength and spend two days at shopping centers looking for stuff I don't need and don't have time for God? I'm talking to the women now. <laughs> Just get honest with him and say, hey, when I'm singing songs like that, we were singing that song you all sang last night. Cause me to come to thy river, dear Lord, at the church the other day. Cause me to drink, cause me to live. We were singing that song, and here I was singing it out. And the Lord said to me inside of me, what do you think I have been trying to do for years? <laughs> here am I asking God to do something that he's been doing for years. <laughs> Boy, I don't sing that anymore. He's done all he can to get me to come to his river, to live at his river, and to drink at his river. He couldn't do any more. <laughs> and here am I asking him to do something he's already done? Now, I'm not saying that song's not okay to sing. I'm just saying how he dealt with me when I was singing that song. I sing a lot of baloney. I mean, Paul said, Timothy, listen. The important thing is not that you believe the right thing about the millennium and the second coming and the tribulation. <laughs> he didn't say, I want you to get straightened out about the gifts or church government. He said, what I'm trying to tell you, Timothy, is that you might have love that comes out of a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. He said, Timothy, I'm trying to tell you how to do this so you can war a good warfare and not get shipwrecked. And he named the two people that got shipwrecked. That's what he wants for us. Let me close with this. The blood cleanses. Oh, what is the blood? <laughs> huh. 
How can the blood cleanse my impure heart? How can the blood fix my conscience up so it is working like God intended for it to work and when he wants to say, bong, I'm right there. <laughs> Let's say these things are not straight. How am I going to get them fixed up? The blood. What's the blood? I mean, where do you go get a cup of blood? How do you apply the blood today? Jesus told a group of people this that highly offended them. In fact, his congregation went down from 5,012 to 12 in just a few hours. He said this, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't walk with me. And they got upset and left. What is his blood today applied in our lives to get us a pure heart and a clear conscience? He went on to tell them in this passage of scripture, and I'd just like to read it to you uh, in closing and then have a time of prayer with you. When they had left, he said this to those that remained. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh. He wasn't literally talking about his body and his blood that they had to eat and drink. He said, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And I believe it's back to what James says, going to be the real issue hearing God and talking to God. And I believe this, that the blood of Christ flowing in our veins is the word of God, the word of the Holy Spirit having free course in us all the time. Let me just break up on one thing and come back and share this illustration because I think it'll, it'll cap it. Right now in my system, every minute, my entire blood is pumped through my system about 60,000 miles. When I'm running, my blood is pumped through my system 10 times to 12 times a minute. All my blood passes through my system. Now, my blood does two things in my system. It takes out food to my cells, but it removes garbage from my cells. Now, if you were to wrap one of those things that take blood pressure on your arm here and, 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 and clamp it on real tightly and begin to exercise your arm, in a few minutes your arm and your hand would begin to pain you. And the reason it would pain you is this, is the blood is no longer able to remove the garbage from your system and the pain comes because of the garbage left in your system because you've cut off the blood flow. When Jesus and his spirit are having their free and full way in us, they not only feed us what we need, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, and it is a continual cleansing. Can you hear him this morning? Can you receive his word? When we were talking about conscience, did he touch you at a little place? Are you willing to respond in that place? When he talked about your reactions to other people, did a person come to mind and an attitude and a feeling towards that person? Are you going to deal with that? Are you just going to rush out to dinner, to the next service and take more notes? 
you got this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow night, and the next morning. The best condition for that is not Derek Prince and Bob Mumford and Jamie Buckingham at their best. The best you could do for that is to have this kind of condition existing inside of you. And I'll guarantee you something will happen to you if you can get ready for that. Let's pray. <clears throat> I would like to suggest that those of you that took notes, you, you go back sometime this afternoon to your room and, and let God speak to you. And in the days that lie ahead, let God speak to you. But let's give God a chance to speak to us right now if he wants to speak to us right now about any of this matter. You just turn to the indwelling spirit who lives inside of you and say this to him right now. Is there any application right now for me from the words that we have been listening to and reading this morning? Is there any application that you have for me right now? And you begin to communicate with him who lives inside of you because he wants you to have a pure heart and a good conscience and an unfeigned faith. Would you do that individually? Now, nobody can do this for you but you. He that hath ears to hear, let him just hear what the Spirit is saying. This will probably be the most important part of the service for you personally. Just listen to the Spirit for a minute now. Lord, you promised me this morning that your word would not return unto you void, but would accomplish that for which it was sent. And I rejoice in this. I thank you that we have a Lord who works so kindly with us towards a pure heart and a good conscience and an unfeigned faith. We thank you for your infinite patience and grace with us. May we give you full cooperation. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>